0: Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to the book of 1 John. We're up to the end of chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. 1 John chapter 3 verses 19 through 24. Before we get into our text today, I want to just talk um, about something with you that oftentimes in some church circles can be considered taboo, and that is the subject of doubt, something that many of us have struggled with in our faith. Maybe you've experienced something similar to what I've experienced, where you're you're so sure of something that ultimately ends up becoming a source of doubt. I'll confess to you, there was a point in my life where I was so convinced that I would never find a wife. I was convinced that I would first go to Bible college, I would find a wife there, I would marry her, and then we would joyfully go about doing the ministry of the Word together. And my first year and a half at Bible college, every woman that I met, in my estimation, was a fake. Until I met Kim. And then when we got married, I was so sure that we would go to El Paso, Texas, I would learn how to speak Spanish, and we would minister there for the rest of our ministry. And then 11 years in Missouri, I began to doubt whether I was sure that we would go there or not. And now we're here in New York where I should have learned how to speak Spanish, and I still don't. There have been many times that I'm so sure of something that as time passes and things don't work out the way that I thought they were going to, I begin to doubt. Maybe you've experienced this in your Christian walk, that you're so sure of something that you believe to be true, but as your life progresses, that thing you are so sure of starts to become a source of doubt. You see, here's the the thesis for today's passage. In our lives, most Christians will have times where they doubt their salvation or the goodness of God. But God tells us in His Word how we can fight against doubt and know that we abide in mercy and the goodness of God. Now, before we read the passage, I, I want to encourage you to think about this passage in two ways. Because you might be here today, and you might say, Pastor, th- this sermon is for me. I- I've been struggling with doubt. I've been doubting some things in my life, and I, I need reassurance. You-, you might be there today. Or you-, you might be in a category where you say, I- I'm actually in a great season of my walk with Christ, and, and I don't really doubt what- what's happening. I, I don't doubt… the the goodness of God. I don't doubt His mercy. I don't doubt His Word. So, today, as you think about this particular passage, what what I want to encourage you to consider is how to take the Word of God when it speaks about something like doubt and use it to help your brothers and sisters who might be struggling with doubt. If we're the family of God, we're the body of Christ, sometimes we're going to encounter passages that, that may or may not speak directly to us but it might be that God is giving us His Word so that we might be ready to help others. So, with this in your mind, I want to encourage you to stand if you're able for a reading from the Word of God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24, it says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and we are sure our hearts before Him, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. One of the questions that I asked immediately upon reading this particular passage in verse 19 is, what is it that often causes our hearts to need to be reassured? What what is the source of doubt that happens most often in our lives as Christians? Now, first, before we, we get into this idea of what causes, what are the sources of doubt. I think it's important for us to understand what John is saying when he says our hearts. What does he mean by our hearts? Now, in the Greek, this is the word cardia, which could literally mean your physical heart. And I, I don't think that's what he means here. I don't think he's saying that your physical heart needs reassured. And, and maybe if your diet has been really bad this week, your heart needs reassured that you're going to stop putting McDonald's and everything else in there. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. What this word often means in the Scripture is the the center of your thoughts and feelings. It, It can mean that. But here I think John is using it in the sense of conscience, that there are times in which our conscience will need reassured. And although it might not seem like it at times, everyone has a conscience. Our, our conscience is something that we feel or sense more than we, we see or touch. And maybe you can understand it this way. And let me speak directly to the kids because I think you, you might understand this as well. Kids, especially for yous who have brothers and sisters, is there ever a time that they get on your nerves a little bit? Don't, don't, don't shake your head. Don't do that. They're sitting right next to you, Okay. Has that ever happened to you? They get on your nerves a little bit. And sometimes it might pop into your head to do something mean to them. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. But then then there's something in your head, there's something in your heart that tells you, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't be mean to them. Now, sometimes if we're honest, you go ahead and do the mean thing, don't you? Do you do that or does just parents do that? But that, that voice in your head, in your heart that says, don't, don't do that, that's your conscience. The conscience is the, the thing that God has given us. That's your heart that's telling you that you shouldn't do the bad thing that you want to do. Sometimes our conscience doesn't work right, and we'll say more on that later, and you go ahead and do the thing you weren't supposed to do. But sometimes, according to John, our conscience needs to be reassured. We need to be persuaded that what we're doing is correct. This seems to be the natural response of what happens as you read this letter of 1 John, especially in the last week where we read that that you're supposed to be willing to die for another Christian. And at very minimum, you would give your stuff away to another Christian if they needed it. And upon hearing that, if we're honest with each other, most of us start to wonder whether we're willing to do those things or not. Am I really willing to die for another Christian? And if I'm not even willing to give away my stuff for another Christian, I'm definitely not ready to die for them. And, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll start to feel in our heart, maybe, maybe I am not a believer because I, I'm not doing the things as fully as the Bible says that I'm supposed to. Sometimes, though, We're going to say more on this in a minute. Our conscience needs to be reassured that we are of the truth, that in fact, God abides in you and you abide in Him. It needs to be reassured of the truth. And why would He say the truth? For us, brothers and sisters, the truth is the very center of where we draw our power in our being for, the the truth is actually the source of, of how we live and how we move and how we breathe. Here's the easiest way to say it. Truth is the origin of belief. You must have the truth to have something to truly believe in so that you can truly live in the truth. And he says this is knowable. He says it's knowable for you to know the truth and to know if you are in the truth and have a heart, a conscience that is reassured that you are, are in fact in the truth. And I, I read this passage and I, I feel a sense in which I am already reassured and yet at the same time I feel a sense of sorrow. Because if if you're paying attention to what's happening in the modern landscape of church ministry, the thing that much of what churches are doing currently is not about you being reassured in the truth, but having your emotions, your feelings stimulated to obey in a certain way which, let's be honest, only lasts for a certain amount of time. Because your, your feelings are very rarely strong enough to help you live consistently in the truth. Feelings fade and fluctuate, but the truth, as we just read in Psalm 119, is fixed and firm forever. So we must, in our conscience, in our heart, know and believe the truth. But let's go back to this question that that I posed before. What is it that's causing doubt in the conscience that causes the need for reassurance. Now, I recognize that one of the weaknesses of giving you a list is that I might give you a little bit of room to to wiggle out and say that this doesn't apply to you. But I have three ways that hopefully are encouraging to you and maybe a little convicting as to why your conscience, your heart might, not be, might need to be reassured, or I'm going to suggest may actually be functioning correctly. The first thing that can cause the need for reassurance is sin. Remember when we talked about our conscience not working correctly? Before we go ahead and do the things that we shouldn't. You see, what happens is when you do the wrong things enough times, eventually your conscience will get what the Bible has called has called your conscience being seared. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says it this thing, this way. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, if that doesn't define what we're seeing in the world around us currently, I don't know what does where sin seems to be continually perpetuated with, with no remorse, with no idea that what they're doing is wrong. The analogy here is this. I have a friend who works in the kitchen, and they can grab hot pans out of the oven with their bare hands, and it doesn't hurt them. And I have tried to do that recently because I envy their ability to not use potholders. I don't know why that matters to me, but it does. And I couldn't even get my hand into the oven before I was like, nope, mm mm-mm. But they have pulled out so many hot pans, done so much with with heat that their hands are now seared, they're calloused to what should potentially be the sensitivity of the, the nerves in their own fingers. They can touch, they have touched the hot pans enough times that the heat doesn't bother them anymore. And let me suggest to you that sin and our conscience works the same way. You touch the hot pans enough times, you don't get burnt. And sin works the same way where if you sin enough times, you will no longer be sensitive to the Word of God and what He calls sin. Your conscience will be seared. If, if this is you, if, if you're concerned this is you, the beauty of the scriptures is that 1st Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 answers the question, then what should I do? Here's what he says. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. For that friend who has hands that have been seared by the hot pans, there is healing that is provided through the application of its salve and medicine and a removal of the hot pans. Their hands can again become sensitive to the point where their nerves are working correctly. The same thing can happen to our conscience if we forsake sinning and receive the salve of the Word of God to make our hands again sensitive to the Word of God, our consciences sensitive again to His leading. Be reassured in the truth. That there are things that God has declared as sin, and those who are the children of God should avoid such things. And potentially, your conscience doesn't need to be reassured because it's already convicting you of the sin that you're currently living in. Another way in which our hearts might be, need to be reassured is potentially through the avenue of misinformation or lack of information. It is very easy in modern Christianity to be misinformed. There are so many different sources and so many different voices that claim a particular type of teaching from the Word that is not from the Word. I've had this happen to me in lesser ways Um, Recently, our dryer quit drying clothes. Uh, Any men here think that they can fix anything and everything? Okay. Any men here too cheap to hire a man who would come and fix it, who knows what they're doing? Okay, that's me. I don't think I can fix everything, but I'm going to give it a shot because it's already broken. If I break it more, who cares, right? (laughs) And for every man, What's our go-to source? YouTube. You know what happened to me? I Googled my dryer name, my dryer brand, and I got a dryer that looked exactly like my dryer, on the outside. But as soon as I did the work to take it apart, I found out the inside was totally different than the one in YouTube. So you can imagine that dryer ended up going to the dump after six hours of me trying to figure it out. I wasted so much time and energy. But brothers and sisters, we are in a severe danger of doing the same thing when it comes to our Christian life. You can waste tons of time and energy based on misinformation. Some might even call this legalism where you have a set of rules that's not informed from the Word of God but informed from a particular person that causes your conscience to convict you when the conviction is not right according to the Word of God. Here's what Paul says in Colossians to this. Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 and 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Do you know, it was rightly mentioned in our class this morning that Christians are often likened to trees, and trees are known by their fruit. And if you ordered a tree from Home Depot or Hicks Nursery, and they bring it to your house and they plant it in your yard, and they tell you it's an apple tree, but when the season comes for it to bear its fruit and it bears oranges, what kind of tree is it? It's an orange tree. Legalism attempts to staple apples on orange trees. And even worse than that, it's stapling apples on dead orange trees, because legalism does not produce repentance. It does not produce salvation. Legalism attempts to allow people who don't know God practice a form of godliness. And anyone who suffered under legalism or any unbiblical teaching has felt the sting of this. But here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith has to say about this. It's talking about binding the conscience by man-made regulations. Listen to this. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men which are in anything contrary to his word or beside it if matters of faith and worship. So that to believe such doctrines or to obey such commands out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience. And the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. Here's the point. Brothers and sisters, we must know what God expects of us from his word and not allow ourselves to be misinformed by or about the world, but instead live in the liberty that Christ has given you to be obedient to his word and nothing more. You need to feel the the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ and let your conscience be reassured and reconfirmed in the truth of the Word that you have been set free by Jesus Christ to obedience. Here's the last one. Tragedy. Sometimes our hearts need reassured because we experience tragedy. Sometimes things happen to us by no fault of our own that can lead us down the path of doubt. Now, it would be a misnomer to talk about tragedy in the Bible without mentioning Job. Job is kind of like the superhero of endurance through tragedy. Listen to Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Then his wife said to him, his wife speaking to Job says, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That is one of the passages of Scripture I've had the hardest time with. Because oftentimes, when I've experienced tragedy, I know where it came from. If God is sovereign, and His providence rules over all things, there's nothing that is going to happen in my life that didn't happen under the control and watch of God. And when bad things happen to me, I know who to blame. And yet, Job, it tells us here that he did not sin with his lips. He didn't curse God when he experienced tragedy that's way worse than anything that I have ever experienced. But people forget, and I forget, that Job has a moment later in the book where he says something like this Job chapter 30, verses 19 through 23. God has cast me into the mire. Have you ever felt this? And I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. He's talking to God here. You only look at me. You've turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it, and you toss me about in the roar of the storm, for I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. The hero of suffering has a moment in his tragedy in which he blames God for being cruel to him. And the tragedy that some of you have experienced May have pushed you to this point. And you need to be reassured that God does, in fact, love you. You have to believe what Romans says in chapter 8 that He is working all things together for our good for those who are called according to His purpose. God is good. So when it comes to conscience, what are we after? Whether I'm in sin, whether I've been misinformed, whether I'm experiencing tragedy, and I've started to doubt, and I need my conscience reassured, what am I after? What we are striving for is a conscience that is biblically sensitive. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As I said before, the path back to a biblically sensitive conscience is a knowledge and understanding of God through His Word. We must have our life, our behavior, our belief, our conscience built upon and reassured by the Word of God. But here, here's something else that, that this passage reveals to us, that, that on the heels of, of this particular passage that I, I think you need to hear. And it ties us back to this legalistic, man-made idea of what worship actually is. It, it's the mercy of God and the freedom of worship. Look at verse 20. I want you to notice some things here. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Notice, he didn't say if. He said when. He's anticipating that at some point, the majority, if not all of us, are going to struggle with a conscience that condemns us. And this idea of being condemning is to know something against someone, that might be legal or forensic self-condemnation. And like I said before, sometimes the proof is our conscience is functioning correctly because we're living in sin. The conviction that our conscience, the condemnation that our conscience is bringing to us is right. We're living in sin and our conscience is working correctly if it points us to consider what we're doing and if it honors the Lord or not. But oftentimes, those other two situations that that I listed, tragedy or misinformation, those are false condemnations. They're not true. They're not accurate in terms of God and His Word. And and listen to how John um, counters this. He says, God is greater than our heart. That means that even if your heart tries to condemn you falsely, God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, is greater than the condemnation of your heart. Not only is he greater than our heart, not only is he greater than our conscience, this this text tells us he knows everything. He continually knows everything, including our motives. And this might be freedom to you here today. If this is where you're struggling, you need to hear these words. God is always more merciful to us than our own hearts. Even when we sin, God has promised mercy to us if we repent. But especially when our conscience is misinformed or we experience tragedy, we need to rest in the mercy and compassion of God. Instead of beating ourselves up and living in doubt, let your heart be reassured in the liberty that Christ gives. This is a quote in a book that we're studying with the kids. It's an article called Christian Liberty. It's by David Strain. He says this, Christian liberty, the freedom that God gives you in your conscience, is the freedom to do and act, to live and be in accordance with the will of God. That's freedom and life to us, brothers and sisters. Galatians, Paul says this in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, for you are not called To freedom, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourselves. Now I'll say it again to you. Freedom that we have been given in Christ frees us to love Him and love others in such a way that we serve them in the freedom we've been given. Because you already know, I already know, we already know that all of our worship to God is imperfect. Even when we are at our very best in our attempt to worship Him, not just as a good singer or, or as a good or whatever you do to worship the Lord, right? Because that's how worship works. It's your whole life. Life is worship. Even when you're at your very best, worshiping the Lord by being a good parent, by being a good church member, by being a good spouse, it is still imperfect. And because God knows everything, He knows your motives in your worship, and He rewards you sincerely for your worship, as imperfect as it is. And we know this to be true even experientially in our own lives. Mother's Day is, is next week. Father's Day uh, is a few months away. And sometimes during Mother's Day and Father's Day, one of my, child, my children will make a gift. They'll draw me a picture. They'll bring it to me. Um, when they were little, I couldn't even tell what it said on it, all right? There was some glitter. I knew what day it was. I assumed it was for Father's Day, okay? When that child brings this imperfect gift to me for my birthday or Father's Day or whatever it is, and it is clearly imperfect... I'm not holding the Picasso in my hand, okay? I don't say, this is a terrible painting, you are a failure, thanks for not being a loving child, and then throw it in the trash. That's not what I do. By the look on some of your faces, I'm wondering if that's what you do. (laughs) Okay. When we move to show our love to God in worshiping him, we bring him some of the most imperfect worship that you could ever imagine. And just like a mother and a father receives this painting or whatever it is from their child, God receives that worship from us to himself, and he knows why you're doing what you're doing. And there's implications for this in this passage. Because when God gives us His mercy in receiving our imperfect worship, the mercy of God gives way to confident expectations in prayer. Verse 21 tells us that we have confidence before God. We have an openness, an assurance, and let's get this through our brains again, to the God who spoke the universe into existence. The God of unlimited power and unlimited resources allows us to confidently come before Him because of His mercy and grace to us, even in our imperfect worship to Him. We have access to the God of the universe through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is then the implication of recognizing God as our Father, realizing that He accepts our imperfect worship, having our, conf- our conscience reassured by the truth? What is the implication? Confidence in prayer. Liberty and access to God is a call to prayer, and when we see the mercy of God, we want to come to Him in prayer. And listen to what the passage says. Look with me in verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. We make these confident requests to God with the expectation that He's going to deliver on His will in accordance with our asking. Hopefully you're you're quiet because this is amazing to you. This should absolutely blow our minds when we consider what we're talking about here. As you are reassured in your conscience, you go before the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ, knowing that God will answer your prayers. And as we go before Him, and as He answers our prayers, We are overwhelmed with love for Him and we keep His commandments. We find no greater joy in doing the will of God through knowing the commandments of God to having the confidence to go before God the Father and receive only good from His hand. Can I say this to you? You are not exercising the freedom Christ has won for you if you are not a person of prayer. If prayer isn't a normal makeup of your life, you are neglecting a significant part of the freedom that Christ has won for us on the cross where He paid for our sin. But as he finishes these final two verses, I think what he gives to us here are two ways to know that you abide in the mercy of God. This is all part of the reassurance of our conscience. The first thing that I think we see here in verse 23 is this joyful obedience. He says, and this is his commandment, that we are to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to one love." Love one another, just as He has commanded us, just as this continual commandment that has been given to us to love God and to love each other. And I've already said this several times, but I want to reemphasize it to you, to, uh, to you again today because there is a way to know for sure, there is a way to know for sure whether or not you abide in God and He abides in you. Because fulfilling the law is what we have been set free to do. That as we have freedom in Jesus Christ, we look at His Word and we see what He's called us to do, and then we joyfully do what He has called us to do. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I may share with them in its blessings. Brothers and sisters, we have been freed by the grace and mercy of God to obedience primarily to see the progress of the gospel go forward in any area that you and I have the ability to affect and touch. And in this day and age, the world wants us to believe that you don't have the freedom to share the gospel that you need to get on board with what the world's agenda is and become a slave of the world's thinking and ideas, and instead, you are free. You are free to share the gospel and to lead others into the freedom that you enjoy in Jesus Christ. Obedience to God is not burdensome. Obedience is a joyful response to the confidence that we have in the answered prayer ministered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Joyful obedience is the first way to know that we abide in the mercy of God. But also, this passage tells us the second way is the testimony of the indwelling Spirit. Verse 24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. That's the obedience. And by this we know he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given John is referencing something that's been discussed multiple times in this particular letter. It's the mutual and reciprocal relationship between God and the believer. That happens by the Spirit He has given us. This is one of the most supernatural parts of our salvation, in that God Himself comes and lives inside of the believer at the moment that we repent and believe and receive forgiveness from God. That means the power to have your heart reassured and live according to the Word comes through the fact that God Himself indwells in you, abides in you, and empowers you to live according to the Word. If you're a believer, God takes residence in you right now. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified. In closing, let me just say this to you. If you are here today and you're struggling with doubt about God or doubt about your faith, Know that God is calling out to you to turn to Him in repentance, to turn to Him in reassurance, and He knows everything. He knows all the things about you that no one else knows. And get this, He still loves you. And He's shown that love to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you are here today and your doubt comes from sin, Repent and know that God will forgive you. If your doubt comes from misinformation or from tragedy, know that God has given you His Spirit so that you can know His Word and have the strength to keep going, to keep striving through your tragedy, and to do what is right to point others to Jesus Christ. If you find yourself struggling with doubt or suffering, Let me just make this plea to you. Don't try to go it alone. Not only has God given us His Spirit to empower us and His Word to teach us, He's given us His church to walk through difficulty, through suffering, through doubt, through tragedy together. We're meant to do this journey together. So if you are here and you are struggling today, Talk to me, one of our deacons, or another church member, and, and we will get you connected with some biblical counseling and discipleship as we strive together to bring glory to God. But if you're here today and you're, or you're listening online and you doubt whether or not God is real, let me just say to you this particular message is meant to reveal to you that God is, in fact, real. And He is calling out to you now that you might receive this reassured conscience, this confidence in knowing that the Word of God is true, that God is real, and salvation has been provided through His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you do not know Christ as your Savior, let today be the day that you confess that you're a sinner, that you turn to God in repentance, and you receive the assurance that only His Spirit can bring. I want to invite you to stand with me now as we pray and ask the Lord for these things. Lord, we are so thankful that when we struggle, when we give in to sin, when we make ourselves subject to the world's teaching or even when we experience tragedy, that through that whole process, you know, you know what's happening in our hearts, you know what's happening in our lives, and you love us and you care for us. You've provided your word and your spirit to strengthen us and guide us. You've provided your church to walk together with through these different times. Lord, help us out of a heart of love for you, be obedient to your commands, to recognize our need for you and to fall on our knees in prayer. Thank you for the confidence that we can even have to come before your throne room of grace and that you have offered us mercy and help in our time of need. Lord, I ask if there is anyone who is here today that does not know you as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself. That today would be the day of salvation, the day that they turn from their sin and they turn to your forgiveness. But Lord, I also want to pray for those who might be here today who are struggling with doubt. Lord, may our church be a place where, where you can express these struggles, where you can confess what's going on in your own life and not receive a spirit of condemnation, but a spirit of brother and sisterhood that we would join arm in arm with those who are struggling and facing difficulty and help them as they walk through this difficult season. Lord, for those who are not struggling with doubt today, would you allow them to seek out one who may be struggling with with doubt or, or questioning and walk beside them in such a way that encourages them to know your word and be reassured. Lord, we we pray this every week, but we mean it. We are ready for you to return. The war against sin, the fight against the flesh, they're heavy, Lord. You know this. You've experienced it. And so we're ready for you to return to make all things new. But until that day happens, reassure our hearts in your truth. And give us the strength to to remain steadfast until that time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.